0: You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. To the book of Ruth, uh, chapter 2. That's where we're going to be uh, this morning, here in just a moment. But I wanted to share just briefly, last Sunday as, we, as I stood here in this time of our gathering, there was some hard news to deliver of the passing of of Dennis Fritcher overnight, even that night. It's amazing the difference between weeks. Last week, uh, there was a few deaths even within our church family and, and some um, really awful prognoses of of health, even for those that we love this week uh, not that it's just been all roses but there's been for example three babies born to families in the life of our church and it's neat to see how even uh in a collective church family that even as there's grief that comes to us even as there's pain there's also little glimpses of of god continuing to give life and to give hope Um, but may our hope never just be that we're a young church and we'll have more and more life come physically but may we have confidence in the lord who gives spiritual life and who promises us resurrection Uh, because those kids that are born and as sweet as they are will grow and and they as long as the lord doesn't return will suffer and, and face death is all, all of us will but we have confidence that we have a savior who's on the throne of heaven and so i wanted to share uh, that good news with you wanted to know also for you uh, for those of you who knew robin henry and steve henry uh, robin uh, we had shared last week had passed away a few weeks ago uh, they have been living out in arizona the last several years uh, this uh, weekend they've desired steve has desired to have a memorial service for her uh, even here at our church and so this saturday here in this very room at 10 a.m we'll have a time of visitation if you'd like to come and and talk to steve or family members that are able to come with him that morning we'll have a time of visitation at 11 a.m then we'll have a memorial service in honor of robin to to celebrate her and the gift that she was uh, to us but also to celebrate the savior uh, that she loved and worshiped so i'd encourage you to come to that especially if you knew them but even if you'd like to come and and be an encouragement to steve or to hear of a, a life that was well lived uh, by robin would encourage you to come to that all right have you found ruth chapter two Uh, we're gonna we started this last sunday this book of ruth Uh, we're going pretty much one chapter a week which is a pretty large uh quick clip for us to go along as a church but i wanted to share a uh, a line from a poem that i came across a few years ago uh, called upon the sand this was by uh, a writer named ella wheeler wilcox And one of the lines in the poem, this is at the very end of her poem, it was this poem about love and the story of Ruth is a love story we're going to start to see even today. Uh, It was about love and the importance of of friendship as a foundation of a marriage. If there's going to be any romantic uh, nature to a relationship that it needs to have friendship underneath it and before it. And she said this poetically, I thought, in a, a very moving and simple way. She said, love to endure life's sorrow and earth's woe needs friendships solid mason work below i I thought that was great that that as we uh come to a story like the one of ruth and and her soon-to-be husband boaz and we even get to see today how they meet uh it's it's we're going to see that even as this story unfolds that uh ella wheeler wilcox's wisdom is coming to fruition even in their story that before there's ever romantic pursuits before there's a marriage before there's a proposal there's a a bondedness there's a a friendship there's an affinity for each other a, a, a mutual relating to each other of respect and appreciation Uh, that comes. And that's true in any relationship. I think it is wise to have a mason work, as she calls it, bricks underneath of friendship and bondedness uh, that that can sustain a marriage when it comes into hard times. And so we're going to get to see today how Ruth and Boaz actually meet. The, The friendship, in a sense, that starts to form between them, the bond that starts to form between them, even before there's romantic pursuit, before there's a wedding to come. This whole book is, like, moving towards, and we'll see next week even more so it's moving towards an engagement moving towards a marriage and and children to come after that but here we get to see how these two uh initially meet and i'm calling this sermon the reception because we get to see how boaz receives ruth how he receives her into his workforce and by extension even into the nation of israel it's a reception that even comes before the wedding. We often do the reception after the wedding. But we're going to see receiving of her into their community that comes well before any wedding. And so uh, find with me Ruth chapter 2. We're going to start reading. And I'm going to read this in chunks today. And we're going to uh, put this story under two headings. The first of which is going to be this. Just very simply. You're going to see that Ruth is received by Boaz. She's received by Boaz. Boaz if you weren't here last Sunday what we talked about just so you're not dropping random into this story just real quick what happened in chapter one is there was this family this Israelite family uh, that because of famine that had been happening around Bethlehem and in their whole nation they had moved to the country of Moab which would have been a big faux pas socially in their day they had moved there and their the sons had married Moabite women uh, which again was frowned upon uh, in that day. And they had married these Moabite women, and then the father, Elimelech, died, and then the two sons of that family passed away as well. And so what was remaining was these three women, uh, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. And Naomi tried to have them go back. She told them, go back to your gods, go back to your families, and one did, Orpah did. But one stayed with her, and we saw it was converted, essentially, and said, no, your God is my God. I'm going back to Bethlehem with you. And we saw uh, that they did. That's where we ended. Chapter 1 was that Naomi and Ruth had gone back to Bethlehem, the town that Naomi and her family had left long before, years and years and years before. Now they had come back uh, without husband, without uh, father, without uh, these loved ones, and they're in a weak and vulnerable spot. And we're going to read this story today to start to see how they're received, how they're received by this man Boaz, how they're received by this community of people there around Bethlehem. So I'm going to read just one verse to start and then we'll work at a much faster clip. Okay? so Ruth chapter two, verse one starts back up this way, says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. That was the father of the family whose name was Boaz. Just real quick, I say this is the first time we see Boaz mentioned here. If you've read this story a lot before, you know he's coming, you know he's going to be a significant player in this story. But as far as the narrator is concerned, this is the first time he's mentioned, uh, this man, Boaz. And we learned just a little bit of him as the narrator tells us, but Ruth's not going to know any of this stuff when she starts to meet him. But we're given uh, this insight before we see her go to his field that he was a relative of Naomi's, or Lemuel's. Uh, family that he was part of his extended family that naomi had married into and now ruth had married into he so he was an extended part of their family but more notably the author tells us that he was a worthy man or yours might say like a man of valor uh, something along those lines. This would have been a real quick description to to let us know as we're about to see Boaz in action that this guy is a worthy man, that he's a godly man, that that he is a, it had different connotations, like he's a man of means, like he has some stability economically to him. It also implied this idea of strength, like that he had uh, maybe even been a warrior or was set to be a warrior if they were ever needed in combat. All these things are loaded into that word and we're just giving this quick insight to him boaz before we ever see him do anything that he is a worthy man who is a a part of the clan of elimelech and so now follow along with me now that we know just a little of who he is we're going to see how ruth comes to meet him and we're going to start to see how he treats her how he receives her even into his workforce into his community so follow along with me verses two to seven now says and ruth the moabite said to naomi And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather amongst the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. want to pause right there just to make sure we know what's going on here so ruth and naomi they're in bethlehem probably we don't know where they're living but they're in that town somewhere um, maybe nearby where jesus was eventually born who knows it wasn't a big place but they're staying somewhere in town Um, but ruth takes this initiative she's the one who initiates this right and she says to naomi she says let me go work in the fields like I, i want to work i want to help us like we have nothing we have no food like i want to go work i want to gather what i can for us us and uh, get us uh, some things to eat enable us to live and Naomi she doesn't discourage that she says go ahead like go you can do that that's fine and so Ruth takes this initiative and she goes out to this field and imagine you can kind of piece together by how the narrator describes it that we tend to think of like we have roads that delineate where certain fields are that belong to certain people and certain properties in this day it seems like there was just this large large field and sections of it would be owned by different people and that they would know where the lines were but they weren't always clear and she goes to one of these large fields that would have had different owners over different parts of it and I love how the author says in verse 3 that she happened, I can see the author, whoever it was, we don't know, but just smiling as they wrote this, that Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Uh, that, that somehow she just mysteriously happens to, to come to this part of this large field that's owned by Boaz. And she, we, pick, we pieced together by the conversation that Boaz has with this supervisor guy when he comes on site. We pieced together that Ruth had come there really early that morning. She had been eager to work. She had even requested to, to follow along behind the, the official reapers, the official workers there at harvest time. Because that's the time of year they had arrived. And that she had been doing that, that she had been working there from early on in the morning. She seems, by the recounting of this uh, supervisor, to have been a hard worker, been a diligent worker. She just took a short break. But other than that, she's been working hard. And, And we see, even before that conversation, that first Boaz notices her right? Like he he knew who his workers were. There seems to be this wonderful relationship between him and them as he arrives of blessing and and blessing back from him and his workers. But he notices that there's a new worker there. He notices that there's this young woman there, and he doesn't know who she is. Remember, he would have never met her before. They didn't have Facebook where he could have looked up, who is this Ruth lady? What does she look like that I've heard about? But we know that, that her reputation had been known really quickly, right? When he asks, who is this? When he takes it over and says, who is this? Uh, or he even says, like, whose is she? It's this idea. Whose family? Whose wife is she? Who, who, who is she connected to? The, the supervisor tells him, oh, like, surely you know that's Ruth, like the, the young woman who came back with Naomi here recently. And Boaz knows who he's talking about. He, he's heard of her. Uh, he, he knows that she had arrived in town. But now he actually sees her. So what's he going to do? But you can imagine if you don't know the rest of the story, this is going all sorts of different directions. There's this new unexpected worker. It's a foreigner. Uh, and you could imagine this going all sorts of different directions. But let's see what uh, Boaz does. Like how does he respond? Or how does he handle this situation? So follow along with me. Verses 8 down through. We'll even read verse 14. It says that Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. We'll pause right there. So what, what did Boaz do here? Like how did he handle this situation? I don't know how you would have handled it, but we read how he handled it. Now Boaz, he, we knew he had noticed her, like he had observed her. Hey, here's this new young lady here. So he paid attention. He saw her. He took note of her. But what we read next is that he actually speaks to her. And he, he speaks to her personally. He doesn't just send some messenger to go talk to her. He talks to her personally. And he speaks to her warmly. He speaks to her with respect and with dignity and with honor and not not uh, passing her by not just being trite and dismissive of her but he speaks directly to her he speaks warmly to her what we piece together as he interacted with her is that it's not just that he notices her and speaks to her but we see that he provides for her that he is saying giving permission like maybe the supervisor had given tentative permission for her to do this but he's saying i am fine with you doing this i would love for you to stay here work here like gain uh, glean some of this grain uh, i want you to have this food i want you to have provision for you and for naomi like please work here you are welcome here And he even offers her protection too, doesn't he? He said that he had charged the young men not to touch her. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on. But he's offering her protection even as she's working and, and would be in a place of vulnerability. And she is moved by this, right? Like she does not just take this lightly. This is a big deal to her that Boaz, this man, he notices her. He speaks to her, he provides for her. He's even offering protection for her, talking about her being under the, the wing of, of Yahweh, their God, but also in a sense, coming under his wing as well. And it, this moves her. You see it in verse 10. She's, she is like dumbfounded in some ways by this. "Why have I found favor in your eyes?" But then see what she says. She says, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner." That's partly why this was a big deal to her, is that she was a foreigner. It, you may look right past it when you're reading this story, but I want you to know a few times, even in what we've already read, how many times the narrator or the characters within the story made note of where Ruth was from. Did you notice that? Like, if you look back at verse 2, for example, it called the narrator, even when he is relaying the story, it says, calls her Ruth the Moabite. He could have just said Ruth, but he's reminding us she's Ruth the Moabite. She's the one that was from Moab, remember, from way back in chapter 1 that you just read about. She's a Moabite. Don't forget that. Ruth the Moabite goes to uh, Boaz's land. And then in verse 6, when Boaz is having this conversation with uh, his supervisor there, uh, as that supervisor, the young man in charge, speaks to him, The way he recounts who she is, is the first thing he says is she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. As if there would be question about that, like people were from different places back then. Twice in the first sentence about her that this man is relaying, oh yeah, she's the Moabite from Moab, Boaz, remember her? Like you've heard about her. And this, I want you to remember the time, this is in the days of the judges. This would not have been far removed in time from when God had told his people to go into the promised land and to kill off other nations. Which is hard things we can talk about another time. But there was this attitude embedded in some ways in God's people back then, or this temptation at least, in God's people to look down on foreigners. To look down on people who weren't part of Israel and to not treat them as kindly, not treat them as graciously, to maybe ignore them or or cast them aside. But even to this Moabite woman, Boaz is attentive. He speaks to her and he offers her provision. He offers her protection. I want you to know, Boaz, in some, unless we think Boaz is just this super noble guy right off the bat, Boaz would have been required to do this to some degree by the law even by the old testament law i have a verse i think we have up on the screen from in deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 19 this was part of the law god had given to israel and telling them how to live sometimes it got down into detail even of how you do a harvest how you treat people who are needing food and one of the things that god had told his people was this and boaz would have known this he had said this, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field. So imagine people are harvesting and then they drop a sheaf. They drop, I don't even, side note, I had to look up what sheafs even are and what winnowing and threshing and all these things are. I'm still not an expert. Somebody can teach me about this. But the idea is God's saying when your workers drop things, like when there's things that they, either as they're carrying or they, they just drop them. He said this, God had said to them, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, that would be Ruth, the fatherless, the widow, that's Ruth, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So this would have been part of the law that God's people were expected to do is, hey, when there's people who are in need and it comes to be harvest time and they have no ability to grow stuff on their own, they have no ability to sell this stuff or eat this stuff, you need to provide for them. Like, as you drop things, let them come pick it up. Like, don't be so greedy that you're not letting these outsiders come and at least have the, the scraps to be able to live off of and to eat or to sell. But Boaz, it seems to be glad to do this. It, it wasn't just something that, that he ha- felt like he had to do. He is glad to do it. You, you pick that up as the narrator recounts this. As, as she says, why have you found a favor in your eyes and taken notice of me as a foreigner Boaz doesn't just say in verse 11, well, you know, like Deuteronomy 24 and 19, like tells me I have to do this. Uh, he says, I've heard about you. Like, I've heard how you left Moab. I heard how, even though there's been this hardship, you've been faithful to Naomi, how you've sought to care for her, even that you've come out here to work to try to provide for her. That you left your family, you left your homeland, you left your gods and your religion and you've come to be with us he's saying that speaks volumes to me and he's even saying may the lord bless you for those things for the sacrifices that you've made and and i'm glad to be a part of it i'm glad to to receive you and to to try to provide for you you want to know a fascinating side note on this is that one of we don't know if it was his mother or maybe his grandmother or great-grandmother but did you know that boaz this man here descended from The prostitute Rahab, who had been in the city of Jericho when God's people had come to destroy it. Not a person of Israel. She was one who was kind to the Israelites, who had helped uh, helped them in their work, had helped them in their conquest. And then she became an Israelite. That would have been in Boaz's experience. He would have heard those stories of how his, we don't know if it was his mom or grandma or or great grandma, um, but how she had been a foreigner and she'd been received into the people of God. And so Boaz's heart is bent, I think, towards seeing people who are outsiders, people who weren't just born into Israel to become part of Israel. And when he meets Ruth, he's eager to receive her. He's eager to help her. He's eager to care for her. But what you see, why I had us read verse 14 included in this, is you see here that Boaz goes above and beyond what the law required. Like he did what the law required. He's, he's commanding his workers, "Let her pick up the things that you drop. As you drop these things, let her do this. Don't harm her, don't touch her. But I wanted to, I wanted to see you to see here that he goes above and beyond in verse 14, when he says to her, "Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel." And the wine and he invites her to come sit with his workers he invites her to come be part of this community when they have time for a meal that he doesn't just make her keep working he invites her to be one of them so you're part of us like come eat with us come have a meal with us i wanted to teach you uh, what i think is a cool word I, I learned this a while ago i even have a definition of this i think this is a cool word i, I like this Uh, is is this word super irrigation it's a term that people use in ethics it sounds like a farming term like super irrigation like we've had tons of rain this uh this year it's not that it's super irrigation it's this idea Webster's uh dictionary defines it as this act of performing more than is required by duty obligation or need it's this idea in ethics that there's certain things that we ought to do or that we have to do morally and ethically. That, that this is just right. This is what you do. And if you don't do that, you're wrong. But there's this whole category of things we can do. And sometimes we do. That go above and beyond that. I say, okay, this is where I know I have to operate. But I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to serve you in this way. I'm willing to provide this for you. And that's what Boaz does here. It's this act of super irrigation. uh, Him saying, not only do I have to let you work here, not only am I glad to let you work here, but I want you to become one of us. I want you to eat with us. I want you to come. And he even passes it to her. Like this lady who would have been brand new, who would have been viewed as the Moabite. He passes the roasted grain to her. He tells her, like, dip your bread in this, uh, this wine with us. Like, eat with us. He shows hospitality to her. And I love this story. I love this section of this story because I think you see here, and we'll see this unfold even more. But you see in Boaz's receiving of Ruth. You see a picture, I would say, of Christ receiving us. As there's this man who, uh, in this story between two human beings, he receives the outsider. One who had no claim, who had no right to be part of his family, to be no part of his workforce. You see Boaz looking upon her with compassion and attention and saying, even at loss to myself, even at loss to my workers, I want you to be part of us. Like, I want you to work with us. I want you to eat with us. I want you to stay here. Don't just come today. Come back again and again. And you see that when, uh, that when he looks at her, he saw some merit in her. He saw some worthiness. He said, man, I've heard of what you've done. I've heard of how you left your gods and your family and your land and you've come here. And so he looks at her and sees merit and says, "You, can, you I'm glad to receive you in. But when Jesus looks at us, when Jesus looks at you, he sees an outsider who doesn't have merit. He sees in me and in you, he sees someone, yes, who is created in the image of God, who is valuable, but who has done everything to walk away from him, to disobey him, to spit in his face, to say, I don't want to obey you. So not only are we outsiders to him naturally, but we're enemies of him. We're, we're rebels to him. But when Jesus looks at us, just as, as Boaz looked at Ruth with compassion and said, at loss to myself, at loss to my workers, I will receive you in. When Jesus looked at us, even without merit, even without good works that we could bring to the table or things that we could offer to him, he was willing not just to give up some barley sheaves and some food at the table, he was willing to give his life he was willing to shed his blood, not just lose some economic resource, but to lay down his life so that we might be received into his family. So we might be welcomed to the table of God. that We might be received back to him. I love this passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul, the apostle, had said this. He said, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near, hear this, by the blood of Christ. And when God has looked at us, when Christ looked at us as outsiders, as enemies, he couldn't just wave a magic wand like Boaz kind of did here and say, welcome in, like, we'll just add some water to the soup, we'll just welcome you in. Like, it it, it was a cost to him, but it wasn't a huge cost to him. But if we were to be received into the family of God, if we're to be welcomed by him, it took the blood of Christ. It's like Boaz being willing to say, I'll die so you can come into this family. Maybe Boaz had a willingness to do that, but Jesus, we know, had a willingness to do that. He laid down his life when he went to the cross saying, I'll take on all your sin. I will take on all your rebellion against me and against the Father. I'll take it on myself and I will let my blood be spilled as punishment, as payment for your sins. So they might be removed from you. And now that you've been made clean, you can be received. You can be welcomed by God the Father. You can be welcomed into my family. And we ought to marvel at that as Ruth fell down on her face, thankful to Boaz. How for granted do we take this sometimes as Christians that we've been received by Christ? At the cost of his blood, at the cost of his life, we've been received by him. We ought to fall on our face in worship and thankfulness to our Savior, who has done far more than what Boaz did for her, for far worse people. But nonetheless, I think we see a picture here of this receiving of Ruth by Boaz, and it's a picture, a precursor of what Jesus would do for us, that that he would receive us who had been foreigners, us who had been sinners, by the giving of his life. I don't want to move to the rest of the story without saying this. If you are here today and you have never been received by Christ, you know full well and you feel it, maybe even in your soul this point, that I'm an outsider to him. Like I've run away from him. When he looks at me, there's nothing worthy in me that would make him want to receive me. I want to tell you today, he is glad and eager to receive you. He is more than willing to. No matter how bad you are, you may be worse than I could even comprehend. And he sees all of it. But he he has paid the penalty for the sins of the world. He has said that if anyone would return to him in repentance and in faith that he died for your sins, that he is glad to receive you, to, to make you clean, to receive you into his family. All that you must do is call out to him and say, please forgive me, Christ. Like, I know that you died for me. You've been raised from the dead. Please forgive me. And he is glad to. And he can do that now in the seat where you are. If you cry out to him, I would urge you to do that. And instantly, you'll be received into his family. You will be received not just by some noble, worthy man like Boaz, but you will be received by the Savior of the universe, by the one who controls everything and sees all your sin and knows it, but is glad to receive you. He will do that even today. So we see Ruth be received by Boaz. And how that's a picture of us even being received by Christ. But the second heading that I want us to see in the second half of this chapter, I would just call this, is Ruth being received by Boaz's workers. Uh, that They may seem like throwaway characters in the story, but I think they instruct us that we see Ruth being received by Boaz's workers. I'm going to read the rest of this chapter, and then we'll walk back through it. So... Follow along with me, start back at verse 15 again. So they just had had this meal, right, where where this foreigner, this vulnerable woman had been invited to come under the protection into the community uh, of Boaz. But starting in verse 15, we see that the workday goes on, and the narrator continues this way. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name, with whom I work today, is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man's a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite, there's that label again, Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they finish all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So what's happening here real quick? The the workers had already been given some instructions about her, right? Even before that mealtime, it was implied in the conversation between Boaz and Ruth, where he had told her, hey, I've told them not to harm you. I've told them to leave you alone. But after this meal, there's further instruction given, right? Verse 15 recounts for us that he gives, I don't even know exactly, we don't know exactly what this looked like, but in verse 15, 15 and 16 Boaz is giving even like more special privileges to Ruth he's telling his workers let her do this let her do this like this might be unexpected but uh like leave more for her let her glean even amongst the sheaves and when she does like don't bother her don't give her a hard time about it like I want her to do that And, and he says uh that pulls he talking about not even just dropping stuff accidentally but like pulling some out and just dropping it on purpose for her like i want her to have a lot and leave her alone when she's picking it up like i want her to have it and the work continues after that meal time they get up and verse 17 says that she worked a full day she gleaned in the field until evening and then i imagine this is not a fun task that she beat out the wheat that she had gleaned which we know was a lot I don't know exactly what an ephah is, but I've heard it's about 30 pounds, which would have been a couple weeks worth of food just in one work day that she would have had to work to to get and to take with her back home. So she works this full day, and then she, she takes it home. She returns with like the ancient version of a doggy bag uh, that she had had enough at that, that meal of this roasted grain and whatever other things that they had there. How she kept it from going bad, I don't know. The ancient world, they didn't care about room temperatures of food and stuff like that. So she brings this, like, secret food even to Naomi as she gets home. Uh, She gives it to her, and Naomi seems to be having this woman who had been so bitter in chapter 1 seems to start to have this gladness come back to her. She's pleasantly surprised that someone took notice of her. And she wants to know who it was. Like, who did you get to work with? How did you get all of this food? Like, somebody obviously noticed and, and gave you special favor. And she says that it was Boaz. And Ruth knows who this is. You can tell right off the get-go, she's saying, may the Lord bless him. And she knows who he is. She, I don't know if she knew him when he had been younger, before she had left long ago, or if or she just knew him by reputation. But she knew who he was and knows that he's one of these relatives that could be one of their redeemers, which we'll talk about more next week and in the weeks that follow. Plants this seed of, hey, maybe there's going to be more than just friendship uh, between Ruth and him. But she goes home and she relays that it was Boaz and how generous he'd been to her and how he had wanted her to come back day by day, even through the end of the harvest. It's not just, hey, here's your handout, Ruth. Like, don't spend it all in one place. Don't eat it all too fast. He he says, I want you to come back. I want you to help here. I want you to be part of us. And the narrator tells us in verse 23 that's what she does. That she goes and she goes back day by day and works with the young women there in Boaz's field until the end of the harvest. I, I want us to see these, these workers of Boaz could feel like throwaway characters. They're, they're not the main characters. They're not the, the primary players. But as I was reading this week, I couldn't help but think how similar we ought to see ourselves to these workers. That if we're looking for who can I see myself, not that we should read the Bible that way, but who can I relate to the most in this story? I would say it's these workers. And what I mean by this is this. Their master was calling upon them to treat this outsider with respect, to pay attention to them, to to pay attention to her, to, to provide for her. And this would have been a hard task for them. If you can imagine these workers. They had been there. They'd been faithful workers of Boaz. And here comes this new young lady into the, the field randomly one day. And on top of that, she's this foreigner from Moab. And not only are you telling us, Boaz, like that we need to let her get some of these things, but you're telling us to drop some of our stuff to give to her. Like to this Moabite. You remember she just came here and she's from moab and boaz had to tell them multiple times but i think he probably told them again and again and the days come yes that's what i'm telling you to do i'm telling you to treat this woman this outsider who is vulnerable and weak i'm telling you to treat her with kindness and with respect there would have been this temptation you hear it alluded to a few times for there to even be kind of this like intimidation or roughing up or there's this word assault i think in our day and age we often read like sexual assault into those things that may have happened but more than likely what would have been happening is that as ruth was was taking some of the privileges that, that boaz had given to her to go and grab from this pile or to to grab from that you could see people being frustrated and say no you will not but i like trying to intimidate her and like get her to back off and say this is my stuff uh and boaz is wanting to protect her from that and say none of that in this field and Naomi is wanting to protect her from that, saying, stay close to them. Like, this man is is orchestrating things to protect you and care for you so that, that these workers will be kind to you, that they will show grace to you and, and generosity towards you. And this would have been hard. They, they, these Israelites, these workers, would have been tempted to to prideful judgment of Ruth, to to not wanting her to eat with them, to not wanting her to get of this grain and of this harvest. They could have been competitive with her. They could have been jealous of the attention she was receiving, the favor she was receiving. Yet their master was telling them, respect her, provide for her, eat with her. And has not Jesus told us to do the same? Like our, if Boaz is a picture of us, of Jesus, has Jesus not told us as his servants? As his workers, has he not called us to respect the outsiders, to receive them into our community, to take note of the people who the world will not take note of or who will treat with disrespect? Jesus lived this out by example, and he gave this as an expectation of us as his people. In Luke 15, for example, Luke 15, in this, in this record of Jesus' life, uh, Luke recorded for us. That it was said of Jesus, or we can read just the text as it is. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And they were saying that like this is some slanderous thing, like this awful thing. Like he receives sinners, like he receives these people who are full of sin and he even eats with them with these outsiders, Jesus was living out this example for his people us to see that when there's these outsiders, when there's these outcasts, when there's these people who are looked down upon and taken for granted in society, those are who I'm going to, like those are who I'm inviting and who I'm receiving, who I'm even eating with. You see Boaz doing that with Ruth, but you see Jesus doing it on a far grander scale. So he lived out this example of receiving the outcast, receiving the vulnerable. But he gave it to us as an expectation that we would follow that example. If you read Matthew chapter 25, Jesus was imagining this judgment day that's to come that all of us will be part of. I'd encourage you to read this for yourself even later today. It's a famous text where Jesus is talking about, in part, how judgment will take place. And it's this famous scene where he's saying that some will say uh, that or Jesus will say to some, hey, you cared for me when I was poor, when I was naked, when I was in prison, when I was sick. You cared for me. And people will say to him, no, we didn't. Like, what are you talking about that we actually cared for you when you were vulnerable and weak? And Jesus says to them, you, you cared for me when you did that for the weak that were among you. The poor that were among you, that the people who were in prison right in your own community, the people who were vulnerable right around you, when you did it for them, you did it for me. But then there's this other part that we don't like to read as much where Jesus says the flip side of that, where there will be people he says that, that Jesus speaks to in judgment and says, when I was sick and poor and vulnerable and in need, you did nothing to care for me. And people will say to him, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, like, we didn't do that. You were never sick or poor or vulnerable or weak around us. What are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus will say to them, remember the sick that were right in front of you, people who were poor right in front of you, the outsiders that were right in front of you. When you, He said, this is how he said it. He says, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And Jesus is confronting their inaction. He, he's saying in judgment that he will confront the inaction of his people. To care for the people who are weak. To, to see the people who are vulnerable. To pay attention to them. And to care for them. And to love them. And to not just ignore them and set them aside. But to serve them and be generous towards them. And care for them. And he's saying as you do it to them, you do it to me. And as you don't do it to them, you don't do it to me. I'll summarize this whole text and what i think it's pointing us to in this whole sermon by this simple statement that those who have been received by christ should receive others for christ like the people and as many of us in this room if we've been received by christ as these outsiders as these vulnerable sinful people if we've been received by christ we should receive others for christ just as the workers of Boaz were had been received by him, and now they're being called to receive Ruth, this outsider, we're called by Jesus to receive outsiders. And this act, this act of receiving them, it's not supererogation for us to do. It's not like, well, if I just do nothing, then I'm good. No, Jesus tells us to do this. Like, it's not an optional, like above and beyond thing. He tells us to do this. To pay attention to the people who are hurting to look for the people who are outsiders, to look for the people who are vulnerable, who are taken advantage of, who are mistreated. He tells us to look for them. It's not above and beyond. It is basic Christian living. It's following the example of our Savior. There's much that could be said about how to do this, but I I want how to, to receive people, how to care for the people who are vulnerable. I want to note, though, this can be complicated for us when we try to take things from the days of Ruth and just immediately transfer it into our day as Christians, because in Ruth's day in Boaz's day, the nation of Israel, like their social whole life as a community was the same as their religious community. Like to be part of one was to be part of the other. Like to be an Israelite in social function was to be an Israelite in religion. That's not the situation we're in today where to be an American or fill in the blank nationality is to be a Christian. And so that every every person has to be treated exactly the same and welcomed into the church even. And treated like they're a believer when they're not a believer. That's not at all what I'm saying when I say we need to receive people. But both of these things were commanded in the Old Testament, we see demonstrated here, where people were, God's people were commanded to socially even respect and pay attention to the people who are outsiders, people who were weak, to, to treat them, who are vulnerable and in places of weakness, to treat them with respect and honor and dignity. And so, even in, in, but they were also as the people of God, uh, they were they were called to receive them if they were willing to come into the people of God. To never tell anyone who is willing to come on God's terms into the people of God. To never turn anyone away and say you're not good enough, like you don't have the credentials to come in here. Uh, when they come to God on God's terms, God's people are to receive them. And so, we need to think about both of those as God's people. We need to think socially. How do we treat people who are vulnerable? How do we treat people who are weak, who are in places of hardship in our society? I want you to think about how you treat and how you think about people who are poor. Like, do you pay attention to them? Do you even see them? Are you even aware of them? How do you treat young people who have no social standing or or something that they, like clout that they can throw around? How do you treat young people or do you just look right over them? How do you treat and think about people who are disabled? People who are sick? And I, I say this lovingly, but how do you think about foreigners? Like, do you see them? Do you pay attention to them? Do you think about what life is like for them amongst us? We ought to, we must do these things. We must notice them. We must care about them. We must speak to them. We must seek to be generous and kind towards them. I'm so grateful for the many official ministries and informal ministries, even of people in our church, to these categories of people, these people who fall into these different circumstances of vulnerability. And may their tribe increase. May it increase in each of our hearts. We need to show respect societally for people who are on the margins, people who are on the outside. But we also, I want to think of, lastly, in the life of our church, as the life of God's people, we need to treat well those who are outsiders, who are coming into the community of God's people. It is so easy for us to just, these are my people, these are my friends, this this is my crew of people. And so we, we become oblivious of people who are new, either new to the faith or new to our church. We just look right past them and we don't think about how we treat even basic stuff like how we treat guests who join us for worship. Like when we are done with worship in a minute, are you just going to make a beeline out of this auditorium and go to your car and go to lunch? Are you going to try to talk to people and see who might be new around here? Who might feel weird sitting amongst hundreds of people not knowing anybody? And could I kindly, respectfully try to talk to them and get to know them? Like be sensitive to people who are outsiders. Be sensitive. But in a few weeks, we're going to have tons of college students coming back into town. They, they may not feel socially vulnerable to us, but when it comes to the life of a church, they can be. Where they're coming into a room in a community where they don't know very many people at all. We're actually trying to start even a new thing where we have college connectors. Jake Osborne is wanting to have some of you who could serve even as college connectors to say, and these are people who are new in our community. I want to get to know them. I want to just spend some time with them. I want to meet with them. I want to help them get integrated into our town and our community, help them think through life. Basic little things like that can be ways that we look for people who are new, people who are maybe outcasts. And if you'd be interested in that, by the way, you can sign up even today. But we need to, to not just be sensitive to guests and new people, but we need to remember that when people are new into the community of God, there is rough ed- there's rough edges on all of us, but there's more rough edges on people who are new into the community of God's people. And we need to be patient as God's people to walk with brothers and sisters who have those rough edges, who have sin issues that they're still working on and growing in and things they might not even realize yet. We need to be patient and gracious in working with them and and helping them learn to love Christ and have confidence that they can help us do the same. We need, as God's people, to be generous with our time towards people who are new, people who are in places of weakness and suffering and trial. We need to be generous with our our time, our skills, our finances. We need to be generous with the things that God has given us, just as Boaz was, just as Christ was. We are called to, to pay attention and to help and to look out for the people who are outsiders, people who are new, people who are seeking to come into our community here. Before, uh, in this story at least, before there is a wedding, there is a reception. Uh, We see Boaz uh, 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 Boaz receiving Ruth into his workforce. We see his workers receiving her into their workforce. May we remember that in relation to Jesus, we are like Ruth. We're received by our Savior. But may we also see ourselves in these workers to know we are called to receive others. We're called to work with them and patiently embrace them into our community.